0: song you just heard is dog of war by the hell yeah babies which means i'm nick bond i'm david gibb and this is how wrestling explains the world i would go as far to say this is the most exciting episode in the history of our sport
1: i would say it is for for a number of reasons i mean first of all it's our it's our informal birthday i mean we're not exactly one year old but i'm i'm all for rounding up anything that's better than half so i'm calling this our first birthday episode since it's the uh season one premiere and it's also brought to you by a very close personal friend of ours right nick
0: yes henry bransom of are you are not talking about arn right i want to be friends with arn anderson but we're not it is brought to us by uh triple sticks that's two p's and an x at the end on twitter henry bransom who is also a patron of ours and i just wanted to thank henry personally he commissioned this episode and he is uh Truly one of the greatest history uh, heroes in the history of our sport. A real friend of the pod. Uh, he's apparently been following my stuff since Rudo Radio, uh, which we will be having Mark Normandin on the podcast at some point, so it'll be a Rudo reunion. But yeah, and Henry, uh, like I said, picked the $100 option to have any episode he wanted to uh, commissioned for him, personally, and uh, he picked Arn Anderson, which for us is a big joy because uh, I know for me, especially... And we'll get into uh, the amount of research I did in the Essential Viewing episodes, but uh, I did a lot of research. And before that, I had really loved Arn Anderson. Anders- Arn Anderson was one of my favorite wrestlers. Having watched him week to week, he is now my favorite wrestler of all time.
1: Whoa, 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 kayfabe the numbers, Nick. You don't tell them what the tiers are. You just tell them to go to patreon.com slash HWETW and learn more. If we say it's a hundred dollars to sponsor an episode, that sounds like a lot. But you know, if there's someone who's used to the dulcet tones of you and me talking about high level stuff like Henry, they might just one day after I say it over and over after I plant the seed in their brain and it grows into a uh, internet browsing idea tree they might just happen to go to patreon.com slash hwetw and just get so seduced by the offering because they're so filled with with gratitude and love and appreciation of what we do, that somehow the truly the greatest hero in the history of our podcast tier seems like just a song. So you never say the numbers, Nick. You just say it's our highest tier, and that Henry is truly the greatest hero in the history of this podcast, and you can be too over on Patreon. That's my last plug since this is a sponsored
0: show. And uh, we wanted to explain, we're going to talk in this episode, because we're going to be doing a couple parts, uh, not just because Henry commissioned the episode, but also because we love Arne Anderson so much. Um, We're going to be talking much more big picture in this episode, uh, because Arne Anderson, and this is something we'll get into in the essential viewings, is a, a very small picture guy. He's great. Both, I mean, he does a great job with big matches, but in particular, what makes Arn truly great, truly worthy of the expansive look that we're going to give him is the the week-to-week stuff. And uh, you actually spoke with someone who helped break Arn into the business and uh, can speak to the kind of, I don't want to call it workaday, but the kind of uh, lunch pail guy that Arn was that is one of the big reasons he was so great and impactful week after week on the television shows and in the arenas all over the country or all over the Southeast. Yeah, absolutely. I think Southeastern
1: uh, Championship Wrestling, which was owned by Ron Fuller, was really the the territory that uh, that Arn really kind of got his feet wet in both he it's where kind of he grew from being a job guy all the way to being involved in main events and i did speak to ron i attempted to record it uh for our big super premiere here but unfortunately i botched the thing uh but it was still absolutely great to uh to to speak to ron firsthand as he was really one of Arn's kind of full-time bosses uh in the in the wrestling business and he himself is a great historian of the wrestling world his grandfather and extended family really built the whole southern end of the nwa and maintained it from the 40s through the 80s so so ron's a great wrestling mind and a big influence on arn anderson i think if you look into ron fuller's promo style i think you'll see some of that definitely in arn Uh, i know that continental and southeastern where where arn broke in was until really recently uh, referred to as kind of the lost territory that's one of the reasons i wanted to talk to ron so bad because it really is one of the few things that's not documented on the wwe network like once arn gets to mid-atlantic the narrative's pretty clear and pretty easy to follow for just about anybody with that 9.99 subscription uh, but talking to Ron was great because it kind of unlocked the mysteries of that that lost territory, which is finally now coming out in uh, DVD form. Like I said, it's one of the last things not on the uh, not on the network. But uh, Ron is selling DVDs, so if you want to see some of the action from this era, you can go to tnstud.com, which is Ron's website, and uh, you can actually get DVDs now of the southeastern and continental era stuff. So a really really important piece of wrestling history is is finally being sewn together and I actually think it's very cool that this show as sponsored by Henry is kind of adjacent to that work or at least tangential to that work so thanks to your sponsorship uh Henry I reached out to someone who's actually kind of in the process of changing the the official codified version of wrestling history so so your sponsorship was not for naught sir
0: yeah and I think the thing that uh you learn from watching early on because his style has never really changed in Ring. Uh, he's always been, if not the same guy, the same character throughout in the sense of like a person who was 20 in his or mid 20, early to mid 20s at the time. And then you saw him as he got older, that character never betrayed its, an earlier version of itself in a meaningful way. and And I think that's what's really great about bullet, uh, about Arn from the perspective of uh, a young talker, and in the ring, and, and just the style. I think uh, Dave meant you mentioned that you had a a story in particular that kind of fits into this. The what. Arn does is very straightforward, and it feels almost real. But it also feels like he understands that this is his job in both a direct and a meta sense. Like the character understands he's there to beat people up, so he might as well have fun doing
1: it. Yeah, definitely. There, there, there. Are really, two great stories that uh, that Ron told me. I mean, everything that he's a tremendous storyteller. You, everybody, should check out his his podcast, which is called Studcast. Uh, if you're a fan of of the history of the business, if you're really interested in kind of knowing what wrestling was all about pre-Vince McMahon, hearing both kind of the great pirate stories, but also hearing the kind of triumphs of the the, the way the business used to work and the way, you know, that real uh, nose to the ground regional promotion used to turn into to big money for people who really knew what they were doing. But anyway, check out the, uh, the stud cast. But there were two stories that I I wish survived. I wish I hadn't messed up the whole recording because i'm a moron uh but anyway uh the, the the first story was just saying that arne uh came down to him in southeastern originally just as a job guy that he was one of a group of like three or four guys from rome georgia who would all pile in a car together and just go down to the southeastern tv tapings to like volunteer themselves to do jobs like they were driving in there with no guarantee of of getting a payday and certainly knowing that the best thing that was going to happen to them was that they were going to get absolutely dismantled by someone but they just kept keep coming they get you know, hold on a but they just kept keep coming back like every single tv taping uh especially are and and it was interesting because what we're saying is something that that ron was definitely saying as well which was that it was very evident from early on that, that Arn was very solid, that every time he sent him out there, he did a great job. When he sent him out there just as a job guy, just get smashed, he did a great job getting smashed. When he when they said, Hey, can you do this? He was great at doing that. And Ron talked about how, you know, in less than two years, Arn went from being the job guy who was just driving himself to the town hoping to, you know, be used to to, to lose. You know, he was in the main events two years later. So he was someone who had always stood out as someone who was really, really solid from the very, very beginning and really, really devoted. Someone who really, really loved the business and was willing to do the things outside the ring and,
0: and inside the ring,
1: you know, whatever it was that it demanded, he was there to do it and to do a high quality job of it from the very, very beginning.
0: You understand why his character works. I think watching him week to week, because you understand, and this is something he says a lot. It's one of his like catchphrases, for lack of a better term, because it's not quite a catchphrase. Like, his catchphrase would be like, it's been your pleasure. But um, he would say the horsemen are known for one thing, which is saying something's going to happen and having it happen. And that's kind of what made his character work, is he was actually mean and he was actually tough as a character like his character was actually tough and mean even if he wasn't as hot as he thought like he wasn't as great as he thought he was he was close enough that there was like this idea that he wasn't bullshitting and i think that's what come across comes across no matter what even in the worst toupee you have ever seen that's what comes across he comes across as very real very tough and very dedicated to the business
1: Yeah, the Southeastern work, I mean, really, really bears that out, I think. And it's super interesting because, like, we associate Arn with, like, the super personal angles, you know, with the Horseman and Dusty and stuff. Well, when he was in Southeastern, he was involved in that that Stud Stable versus Bullet Bob Armstrong uh, and his whole family feud. Like, he had already kind of been part of a super personal feud that was about... The big, powerful heels going out and cutting the boastful promo and telling you what they were going to do. And then either going out there and doing it in some big, tremendous, low down, angle or, you know, getting their asses kicked in the process and, and showing ass and, and making the baby face look good. Like he almost in the early formative years of his career in Southeastern, it's almost like he was like going to training camp specifically specifically to do the job that he wound up doing in the prime years of his career. So I I think that it's like, you know, uh, Steve Austin always jokes about, you know, being an overnight success seven or eight years into his career. And I think Arn Anderson, it was like, he was just so ready for the for the spotlight like he was someone who clearly had been like studying these angles and, and really trying to figure out exactly what it was that matches and storylines needed to work but um that that's actually kind of a nice dovetail into the second great story that Ron Fuller told me about uh about Arne Anderson and this actually has to do with uh with Arne getting sort of discovered by Ric Flair in fact that Ron said that in this in in his I'm oh, sorry in fact, Ron said that in his mind, this was kind of the night that Arn Anderson became a horseman, even if it didn't formally happen for a little bit afterwards. But so uh, they are uh, have a date on Flair in Southeastern. He's the traveling champion, and he's, he's coming to them for the night. And uh, if you look at kind of how Southeastern was run, uh, Ron, unlike a lot of other promoters, a lot of promoters would put Flair in the singles match with the top babyface. Um, but a lot, what Ron would do a lot of the time is he would put him in like tag matches or six or eight man tag matches and and get them in with as many as his top heels as possible. So the top heels rub up against the champion and all the, you know, all the top baby faces get in there in the tag match with the champion. It's, it's a great idea. It really kind of spreads the, it maximizes that, that time when you, when you have very uh, limited dates on the champion. So, uh, so they're doing this uh, six man tag. And uh, Arn and Rick are on the heel team, and uh, at one point, either earlier on the card or early in this match, the top rope breaks, so there is no top rope. Uh, but they have to do the main event because they've got Flair, right? And they want to get Flair on their television. This is a big TV taping in, I think it was Dothan, Alabama, I believe was the town. So they uh, they want to get Flair. They need to have this match, even though there's no top rope, and like this isn't like smaller guys involved, like you've got Ron in there, like, he's like, you know, six, eight, six, nine, you've got Arn in there, who's very solidly built. And you've got Rick, who by today's standards would be like a a really big wrestler, you know what I mean? So, so they are, they are going to attempt to have this match with just two sets of ropes. And, uh, Arn Anderson was very, very eager, obviously to, to do well on the big stage because the champion in in his role as, you know, as, as, as the traveler was also kind of a scout. I mean, especially Ric Flair was definitely always sort of backburner scouting for Crockett because that was kind of his like home territory, you know what I mean? So Arn was really eager to make a big impression. and was someone who was always devoted to the match. Like if you hear interviews with Arn, he always talks about, you know, it's for the match. That was kind of the, the mantra of he and Tully and the horseman. So wanting to do the right thing for the match. Arn still uh, wants to do a high spot for whoever, you know what I mean? So he hits the ropes, he runs across to do the high spot and he tumbles over the top rope, falls out of the ring and lands on top of his head. Ron talks about seeing it from the other side of the ring, seeing it from the other corner. And he said that Arn just disappeared over the top rope and did not get up.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that, but like the visual of somebody, somebody knowingly going over the top, like the rope without the top rope. It's just like, why would you do that? But you understand that like Ric Flair is there. You have to. Like,
1: He was devoted to it. He wanted to have the match. He didn't want the match distinct just because the rope was broken. You know what I mean? That was the main event. And that was these people's chance to see Ric Flair. And they needed to see Ric Flair in a good match because that was, you know, contributed to the whole psychology of the whole idea of the NWA working. And he was just very devoted to wrestling in that old school way
0: and i think flair was right he saw something in arn at that moment that i think we all saw which is not just the dedication of just like i'm gonna go out there even though the ropes broke but to do things well every single time he went out there to understand that this is it's the joe dimaggio thing of like this might be the only time somebody gets to see me I have to do my best tonight. Absolutely.
1: I mean, the story gets better, too, because he's he's laying on the floor. He's disappeared. And so, you know, it's been a few seconds. And uh, as, as Ron tells he says, man, I better go over there and like make sure that, you know, that the the um, Marty's alive. So he, uh, he he jumps down off the apron and he's walking around the ring. And just as he's about to get there, uh, Arne just gets up, springs to his feet and all at once rolls into the ring. Like, so he goes from being completely dead, knocked out, springing up to his feet and rolls in the ring. And Ron, I thought this was a tremendous story. I was glad he told it because uh, not, you know, wrestlers don't have to tell stories like this. So I'm always glad when they do. But he said that the Arn gets in the ring and right away Ric Flair is telling him, come over here and tag me. Come over here and tag me. Come over here and tag me. And Arn goes into the next spot for the baby face. And Flair gets in the ring and walks over and shoves Arn. He's like, what the hell are you doing? I told you to go over and tag me. I'm the champion. When I say tag me, you come over and you get me in the match. You're going to kill yourself in here. What the hell do you think you're doing? And so, but but Arn wanted to run the next spot with the baby face. He, you know, because he had, he had fallen out of the rope. he had messed up he had, he had messed up the spot. So he wanted to get back in the ring and feed up to finish the move. So uh, after the match, uh, Rick came up to Ron and said, so tell me about this guy. And uh, and as Ron said, about three months after that, uh, Aaron came to him and said, like, hey, boss, I really appreciate everything you've uh, done for me, and I'd like to wrap up the right way, but uh, yes, I can't I'll work here anymore. Everything gonna had go unfold
0: like, almost not in real time, because obviously it's truncated because I'm watching it. I'm not watching it week to week. But to actually see the ways in which... Arn's presence in Mid Atlantic, in the Crockett territory, completely changes the dynamic of the entire company, is kind of incredible. Like, the second he comes in, he is immediately the person who pulls an Oli back to being a heel, and he's the one that gets it's implied, him and Oli are the ones that get flair to turn on dusty so that they can break his leg to start the four horsemen like he is not just the catalyst he is like the embodiment of the four horsemen very early on arn is not rick's henchman he's his number two i think it's almost it's implied to the point where it's almost explicit that arn does has a huge ego but it's not the same kind of ego that rick flair has Arn wants to beat the shit out of people and cash checks. He doesn't also want to do all of the annoying shit you have to do when you're world's champion. And he respects Rick enough and his family in the context that they are kayfabe cousins. That you understand why he's not fighting for the title, the world the world heavyweight title, but is okay with being like the the star of the show when Rick's not around. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean I think that it, it, it's it's just great psychology to say it's great storytelling that, you know, that he is uh Rick's best friend and that's why he wouldn't want to fight him. Like he's his best buddy who sits next to him at the bar and like doesn't put up with other people talking trash to him and stuff. Like they did a great job explaining of why Arn was this incredibly tough incredibly driven guy but at the same time why he didn't have his eye on the world title because it's like why would you and your best friend tear each other apart over the world title when you and your four best friends could just have all the championships and i think that was part of Aaron being really smart and being really canny and one thing to tie back to something you were saying earlier always really adult like arn was always portrayed as someone who was like a serious adult decision maker you see so much wrestling now and like so many of the angles are about like either like impulsiveness or immature decision-making. And there was never a grain of that in Arne Anderson from the second he emerged on TV. People always joke that like Arne Anderson seemed 40 forever. You know what I mean? That he like always seemed like he was kind of locked into just being a a man. And it definitely is true. and, And I think that that was part of what made the whole relationship with Flair work is like part of, like, yes, Arn was a tough manly competitor, but also he was the kind of dude who was loyal to his best friend and would put that above other stuff.
0: He understood. And and the other thing, and this is the biggest thing for me, the, the biggest difference, uh, like modern WWE and this, is that everybody puts everybody else over. And in particular, Arn and Rick put each other over all the time. As the two best, like they, they do it in a way that like you almost feel bad for Tully and Oli in the sense that like, it's clear that when, because what you also learn from watching week to week is the level to which, and this is something we talked about earlier uh, in, in the epic narrative episode, the four horsemen feud with Dusty Rhodes is literally just a Western like, it is literally just two gangs of people. One is a group of guys that are really bad. And there's another group of guys who are less bad. And you're supposed to root for the less bad guys. And that's, like, that is basically what the show is for two years. It's a Western. And, like, Arn is the best gunslinger, but maybe not the most dangerous. Because Flair is also crazy.
1: Yeah, Arn is the definition of grounded. He is, like, the grounded, realistic person anchor that just like holds 20 years of wrestling history together i always think of the the time later in the 90s where you had the version of the four horsemen that had like benoit and pillman in it and that that was sort of one of the first kind of meta angles and one aspect of that was that pillman was starting to like talk about the booker and talk about being held back in opportunities and things like that and starting to break the fourth wall And part of the storyline was that Anderson was like trying to pull Pillman back behind the fourth wall and like bring him back into line with the way that wrestling worked. So I think that Arn Anderson, more than any other wrestler, like including Flair or Hogan or any of the guys who, as you were saying before, maybe were like above him on the card or as draws, but like nobody, no single wrestler was really as important to defining or to our definition of what wrestling is, what it looks like, how wrestlers talk, how wrestlers look, how wrestlers interact with each other. Like Anderson is that that anchor, that just like pillar at the center of the business.
0: Yeah, the thing with ARN is he does everything incredibly well. He's a great character, he's great on promos, he is mind-blowingly good in the ring. Like he is easily my favorite in-ring performer and it's not that he's like a realistic amateur wrestler it's that he's a guy who wrestles like a professional wrestler trying to win a professional wrestling match better than almost anybody i've ever seen like he wrestles to character i think it's like up there with the undertaker in terms of having a character that's set in stone and using that character to tell stories in the room yeah when
1: when you talk about someone being a believable character like and this is gonna sound like a backhanded compliment but it's really not in my eyes it's the highest compliment was that like in let's say 1996 or whatever I'm nine years old and I'm seeing uh, Arne Anderson on TV Arn Anderson believably looked like someone I might know as well. That was always one of the big things that blew my mind. And that was the same thing. I was something that Ron pointed out too, actually, that uh, that he had like a very believable and very distinct look. He said that early on, you know, maybe when you were doing jobs with Arn, you could you could put him under a mask and get away with it. But he had such a distinct body that once he'd really been on TV, you know, there was kind of no mistaking Arn Anderson for anybody else. He just had this solid, credible, but unique at the same time look. And I think part of that uniqueness was the realness. And like I said, this is gonna sound like a backhanded compliment. I'm finally getting to what I was saying. But when I was growing up, when I was like nine or 10 and seeing him on TV, he realistically looked like the toughest person who might be one of my friend's dads. And like, when you're a kid, that's a real reference point. And that's what the world of wrestling needs to work. Hulk Hogan doesn't like mean anything it's like superman doesn't mean anything or like kind of silver age superman right when you have so many powers like when you when you're capable of everything and there are no rules it doesn't mean anything but when you have someone who just looks like a real solid credible person who might exist in the same world as you and they are interacting in this world of wrestling as a wrestling or as sorry as a reference point it it makes everything work and it really ties everything together like i said i i keep coming back to this idea but i think that he's someone who really was just like one of those anchor characters who just kind of made the whole wrestling business in the 80s and 90s work.
0: Yeah, because he has a unique... I mean, him and the, the Anderson style, the Anderson technique of working over a specific limb to the point where it's basically going to break and then you do something to it to try to break it is a really great... Like, It's almost... And this is going to sound silly to some people. It, it reminds me a lot of like the idea of Brazilian jiu-jitsu as like, your base. He can always... Anything he does is based off of the idea of, like, working certain body parts. So he can, whatever gets him to that thing, whatever he can can fit into the confines of that structure is is like an Arn Anderson match. And it allows him to have a lot of variety without ever losing himself in a meaningful way. He's... He's con- his consistency, and this is part of what makes the like TV title reign he has in '86 so great. Is that every week he's going on television and putting on a really great match with anybody from Ronnie Garvin to uh, Bill Mulkey. Bill Mulkey, yeah, Bill Mulkey. <laughs> he. Bill Randy. Yeah, not Randy. No, it's Bill. Uh, <laughs> no, Bill Mulkey. Where you're just like, oh, you're just there's a reason. He Arn is actually the person that said this that uh, Kurt Henning could have a match with a stack of bricks and make it look good. Arn Anderson could, like, make that like a five star match. Like, Arn Anderson is just a great professional wrestler in a way that's really hard to comprehend unless you see him week in and week out have the same match differently with every single person on the roster, basically. While also adhering to all of the rules of his character and the larger narrative. He doesn't, we talk about this more than maybe almost anything. He never sells himself out as a character in the ring or on the mic. And that is so important to the Arne Anderson character that it kind of shifts your understanding of, and again, watching week to week of the nature of the show, because what you understand is that like in a meta sense, the reason Arne Anderson isn't champion is because he, I think he knows, and I think Dusty knows like what that would mean long term. I get the feeling that he did not trust Dusty to do right by Rick and Arne, because that's the other thing you notice. And this is something we're gonna talk about a lot more about uh during the podcast beyond when it comes out. Dusty. Arn succeeds in spite of Dusty being. The most obnoxious Booker I can think of in the history of wrestling. Well,
1: (laughs) I guess they say that, right? When you have a solar system, right, it's usually the objects that have the most mass; they have the greatest gravitational field, and then you know the other planets orbit around that, right? I mean, that's how planetary astrophysics works. Not to you know, not to boil wrestling down to something stupid like that.
0: (laughs) What I think is extra great is it, it the level to which. Dusty is Poochie is there are literal parts where they ask like they will ask well where's Dusty and you're like dude this is not even a match that involves him in a storyline like people complain what I think is extra fun about watching old ARN matches and, and all basically what I did is I went through and I watched every ARN promo and match for like I said a couple of years And you understand that he's treated so much differently than anybody else because you really also get the feeling, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they did pretty great when they went to WWF, that like Ric Flair is the NWA in a way that Arn Anderson could leave and still have value in a different company at this point in their careers. Like the Ric Flair won't leave the NWA because he's a, af- I think he's afraid of what Vince would do with him. Where like Arn Anderson is just knows and is comes across as confident in his char- confidence in his character. Knows that he's if not the man, he's he's the linchpin of the show. He's the one that you could have when Flair is out of town. He's the one that you can have feud with anybody because he's a singles champion and he's part of the uh, the Andersons tag team throughout most of this run where he's just, he's so integral to the storyline. You realize that you could not have the show without him. It's crazy. Like he, he is, and and you've said this and we've said, he's the main character, he's the anchor, but he's also the like lifeblood of the entire show. And it's not something you see until you notice he's main eventing every show for like three months. And he's the best promo on the show every week and he's in all of the major storylines every week and he's the one that is the the driving force philosophically of the four horsemen in a way that like rick flair is the most famous but he's not the most important horseman
1: that's like, there's a, there's a story that JJ Dillon tells that on the, the final night that Arn and Tully were in Crockett before they were going to go to the WWF to be the brain busters that after the match, you know, Tully's cutting off his tape and undoing his boots and he turns to JJ and he says, uh, you know, James, this is the end. And I think that in a way that kind of ties back to what you're saying that, you know, that, that, uh, that, that. Even though you had Dusty and you had Rick or you had whoever else the those tippy top draw stars were, when you lost those heels who were in the top third of the card who were just all about bumping and doing what was right for the angles and what was right for the matches, you just literally you ripped the guts out of the thing, you know what I mean? And and, and it gets back to something you said about like Dusty being the booker and how the show is all about where's Dusty. And that was ultimately a big part of what drove Arn and Tully to leave and to go to the WWF. But it's interesting. I was, I was talking about like comparing this to the stud stable angle earlier, and that's something that we've been using as a reference. In that scenario, Ron and Robert, the owner bookers, they were the heels. And when the owner bookers are the heels, as you see, like even with the McMahons, which I put down all the time, but it's, it's a great example of what I'm saying here, it's easy for them to kind of take the heat and get into doing whatever the show needs. You know what I mean? Because they have the biggest investment in making sure the right thing happens. So when you have the heels kind of being the ones who who have the real power but are making the baby face look good, it's like kind of everybody knows what's really going on. But when the baby face is the boss and he's telling all the baby faces, you run at my elbow and fall down. You know, when the shoe's on the other foot, That is a little uh, less elegant, and I think a little tougher to get people, or at least get the workers excited about.
0: And I think Arn is, uh, let me put it this way I think the best way to put it is Arn is the reason that that is great wrestling television, not exclusively. But his role in the Four Horsemen, he is the Mariana Rivera of professional wrestling in a sense that he is the best ever at his specific role and is the best ever at such a level that he's one of the, to me, he's on the Mount Rushmore of professional. Like if I were to create like the quint archetypal wrestler, professional wrestler from the 80s. It would be Arn Anderson. He is, and that's why I think, in a lot of ways, he's the best professional wrestler of that era. He works great as, a, like I mentioned before, he works great as a single. But in particular, his tag team work is the is to me the best. They're the best tag team. Like Arn Anderson and anybody else is the best tag team ever. I, how do you, how do you, is he at that? I don't think he's at that level for you, right? Though, no, but he's. I think it's fair to say that his tag team work, in particular, is special.
1: Oh, I would say his tag team work is very, very special. I think Arn and Tully is my favorite incarnation. I know if I was ten years older, I would probably say Arn and Oli. I know they're kind of the more quintessential old school grinders, unlikable heels. But I, I have, as we've de- as we've dedicated much time to on this show, I, I love Tully Blanchard's work so much. Uh, Arn and Tully are the greatest. The only other tag team wrestler I would really put in the same esteem. Uh, would maybe be beautiful Bobby Eaton, of course, uh, one of the all-time great workers. But as you were alluding to, I think Arn kind of outclasses Bobby's singles accomplishments in a way that makes him really historically special.
0: Yeah, and I think what's great with the tech, the Anderson technique, like I mentioned before, in tag team wrestling is how mean they are really helps get across... That they're assholes without making them cheaters, and I think that's the other thing that is missing is that like heels in this territory were actually allowed to go over in a way that wasn't NWO style. They had made the people. Oh, Tully Blanchard's
1: sorry, Tully Blanchard's uh, slingshot suplex when he actually did it, they put it over as like the most incredible finishing move in wrestling. To hear to hear David Crockett. And Tony Schiavone put over that move. I mean,
0: it's like Hogan's leg drop. Yeah. And, and also, Arn has the gourd buster, which gets a lot of... And the spine buster. The first time he hits a spine buster, he does it against Sam Houston. And Tony Schiavone and uh, Davey Crockett, David Crockett, uh, <laughs> like, actually mark out, like, kids. They're like, oh, my God, what was that? <laughs> he Sam Houston, of course, kicks out of it. But I, I think what you see from all of this is the importance of being a bad guy with a code. And I I think that's the other thing that you get from Arne and you get from the four horsemen is like, to me watching everything through, you notice that like, like I said, it's a Western and the good guys, quote unquote, are just less evil. Like there's an implication that Arne and Oli are racist. There is an implication that they are all liars, but they're, They're liars in the sense that they win on, they say things on technicalities and they kind of believe in the sin of omission, but they never like flat out lie or trick is the wrong word. They definitely trick people, they definitely set traps, but it is a different kind of lying than the things that the America's team, which is like. Uh, Dusty and Magnum TA do where they dress up as the James gang and in in hoods and not hoods and masks and attack the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette like I understand the concept of like we're in war and there are no rules in war but I think that if you watch it and you are open to the idea that like of moral ambiguity i guess like if once you open that idea of moral ambiguity i guess is what i should say it allows you to root for the heels because like the horsemen say what you will about them and, and this is something they bring up a lot of during the show and it's a lot of it's arn almost all of it's embodied in arn is say what you will but you have to respect the work they do and i don't necessarily think that's the case for like the faces at the time outside of the uh, rock and roll express but like the singles faces are not good people and I think that's what makes Arn like Arn and the four horsemen in general like that first incarnation of the cool heel but at the same time they were such bad people and and this is the other important thing put over their opponents so much that it didn't make it seem like what happened with the NWO
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, like I was saying before, like uh, Arn and Telly always talk about being for the match. And I mean, it, it works the same way with your promo, right? And what's the classic old school thing of you can't just do the promo where you talk about how worthless and dumb and terrible your opponent is because like, then if you beat them, like, who did you beat? And like, God forbid, if you lose to them, like, well, then what does that even mean? If you completely said they were nothing ahead of time, you know what I mean? So it's, it's that old school philosophy, like I said, of, of RM being one of those guys who was right there just kind of holding up the foundation of, of wrestling, of doing what needed to be done, not just to get himself and his immediate troop and their angles over, but to really get the whole territory over. I mean, that's, that's what the horseman angle did. It carried the whole territory and it made that Crockett territory from whatever 86 through 88, you know, 86 and 87, it it really made them kind of the premier territory and the main, enemy direct rival of the, the the wwf like basically because of arn and tully and rick and jj and Oli, you know what i mean and he was one of the guys who who held the business together in that time
0: his love of the game comes through both in the sense that he loves being a professional wrestler and he loves taking bumps for guys but also he loves being arn and marty lundy loved being Arn Anderson on television there was a there's a real joy de vivre in his performance especially when he's with the other horsemen of like they get what they're doing is not just over it's good and I, I there's this sense of like and you get it every once in a while in modern wrestling now with like Seth Rollins kind of has that same vibe where like they are part of their gimmick is that they're good at what they do and are consistent. So like, if they have a bad match, it's a big deal. Like, I think that is, he is Arn's Great. Because there's so many different workers. You can compare him to, you can compare him to the undertaker and Seth Rollins. I, to me in like a meaningful way where like there, he's this great character wrestler. Who's also this great bumping heel. Who's also like a great technical wrestler. Who's also a great, and he has, him and Oli have my favorite spot in the history of wrestling, uh, which I just really got into in the last two weeks, uh, which is that they beat the shit out of the guy, the the Ricky Morton, if you will, of the tag team to the point where they drag him over, throw him at his tag team partner to like cause a tag and then just start beating the shit out of the tag team partner that just quote unquote tagged in. It's like, to me, the quintessential Anderson slash Ar- like Arn Anderson spot. Yeah, just smart ass bully. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what's so great is he's just, like you said, he's like a, uh, actually, Jim Cornette says it. He's a ruggedly handsome guy who like looks like a normal person, but he's this extraordinary talent. And I think that's why, more than anything else, and we'll get into this way more during the essential viewing episodes. Um, there's gonna definitely be one. There's probably going to be two because there's so much Arn, and we focus mostly this episode on the early Arn, uh, because we're eventually going to do a Brian Pillman episode, which where I want to talk about the Pill that that uh, storyline that Dave mentioned earlier but I feel like this era of arn this specific era of arn is some of the best professional wrestling ever. Yeah, I would have to
1: agree. It's both era defining stuff and it's it's really all-time stuff that still stands as aspirational material today. I mean it it really is a true high watermark for achievement.
0: Arn Anderson is basically the reason people like wrestling whether or not not sports entertainment mind you but wrestling and I don't know if they necessarily realize it I, I like I think what we project out is this idea of Ric Flair is like the quintessential professional wrestler and I feel like he was too big of a star in the meta sense to ever really be that like he had to sell out his character in ways that Arn Anderson never had to. His career is much more uneven relative to Arn. I feel like Arn Anderson's body of work is. The, if you want to understand pre. outside of WWE wrestling, like if you want to understand wrestling outside the context of Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, you have to watch a lot of Arn Anderson, but you will understand through every era. That he is more so than Dusty, more so than Rick, more so than Sting. Any of these people, he is the quintessential non... Although he did work as the member of the Brainbusters and stuff like that. He is the quintessential non-Vince guy. Does that make sense? Right, let me kind of rephrase that. He's the ultimate Vince... I uh, like mirror, mirror version of a Vince guy. He is the ultimate opposite... He's diametrically opposed to what Vince McMahon was looking for in a performer, but was also great outside the context of what Vince looked for in a performer. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think you said it well just a minute ago when
1: you said, you know, he's really the quintessential professional wrestler. Uh, so so therefore that he represents all the all the great things about wrestling, uh, including the many things about wrestling that Vince doesn't like,
0: yes. and and, and there's value in what Hogan, did Hogan's the best I think sports entertainer entertainer and I think flair is the bridge between the two but I I think the one thing that Arn Anderson couldn't do one thing we'll we'll end on this is that he couldn't necessarily get you in the arena to see him get his ass kicked per se through his words but once you were in the arena you never wanted to see somebody get their ass kicked more than Arn Anderson and I think that's like if you're going to boil down what Arn Anderson does best it's that. Is that if you were Ernie, he is not the person that gets you to stay on the wrestling show or to turn on the wrestling show. He's the one that gets you to stay on the wrestling show, and, and that to me is his ultimate legacy.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's like a tremendous TV character, in that you know he. If you needed, if you if you had. Uh, let's say that there was a big traffic jam on the way to the arena and you only had one car of wrestlers show up and have to do the whole two-hour or three-hour show, you would hope that Arn Anderson was in that car of wrestlers who didn't get caught in the traffic. You know what I mean? If you needed to fill time, whether it was with great wrestling, uh, great promo, some kind of an angle, like he was definitely the guy who was there to do that thing for you. Like I said, the guy who who really, really made the territory – work and i think that he was a draw in the territorial style i don't think that he was mm-hmm. necessarily a draw in the kind of like cable national tv era way that like a hogan was or a john cena was you know what i mean or is but uh but i think that he definitely like he had i mean he and tully like sold out the front rows of the Greensboro Coliseum with the Mark fans who went there to cheer the heels because they were so undeniably good. And they were in charge of, of giving... Those you know in in some of the in some of the towns where maybe Dusty and Flair didn't want to go or where other bigger baby faces didn't want to go like they were there with the rock and roll you know what I mean like they just I keep coming back to this idea but but just making everything work in a way where I don't and make, matter and yeah everything work and matter in a way that's not deficient or not any lesser than the main 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 event even though he's not the main, main, main event. It's just like what old school wrestlers, like an old style wrestlers, say that like, not everybody can be the champion, but that doesn't mean that that you haven't had a great wrestling career. You know, I think Aaron's kind of the great, the ultimate proof of that, that you can be one of the most important wrestlers in the business for 20 years and, and not be the world's
0: champion. Um. So now that we've, uh, I think, sufficiently explained how Arn Anderson explains wrestling, without mentioning a single match as much as we could, um, we will be definitely be coming back uh, tomorrow because there's just so much that can be said about Arn Anderson, especially when you break down his individual matches. Uh, but now that we solved that, uh, I had one question. Which current performer... Does the best job of embodying all of the positive, I don't think there's many negative, but all of the qualities of an Arnander like that backbone kind of guy, the guy we will look back, and maybe not while we're watching it now, but 5, 10, 20, 25, 30 years from now, we'll go, oh shit, that guy, he was the one that kind of, he's the straw that stirs the drink.
1: Well, he he's not there as a singles yet because I, you know,
0: he, I don't think he's really had the opportunity to do
1: it at all in the WWE, but certainly as a tag, I think that one guy you could mention is like Scott Dawson. That's someone who is like almost literally doing Arn Anderson in like an intentional way. Like he does that spot where he shows the guy the fist and then when the guy ducks he headlocks him and gives him the DDT. That's an Arn Anderson spot like he does. So in in terms of like straight up doing Arn Anderson, I think Scott Dawson is excellent in it. Um, at just being that like stir that straws the drink this is a really weird uh, choice because he he's not someone who wrestles at all like Arn Anderson but if you watch MLW here we go here's your MLW club for the week I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned Colonel Parker earlier so actually this is number two uh, but uh, I will actually say Teddy Hart for all of his faults like he is now their middleweight champion just because MJF got injured and someone needed to be champion you know what I mean but like he is someone who, even though he's not involved or hasn't to this point been involved in like their main event title feud, he is one of the most over people on the show. And he is one of the people who, if you chopped up promo time over the last two months, he's probably had some of the most of it because he's someone who's just like got something that connects with what the fans define wrestling as, which was the same thing as Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson embodied what kind of southern wrestling fans in the 80s thought wrestling was and teddy hart's kind of what smart mark internet fans in the in the 20 teens think or thought you know wrestling was kind of thing so even though he's not at all like arn anderson i'll say teddy hart is like arn anderson
0: uh mine is actually somebody who doesn't work like arn anderson at all but his name is mike the miz mizanin because i think when we look back at this era this the quote-unquote reality era I think what we're going to see with The Miz is a guy who showed up to work every day and did exactly what was asked of him to the point where every single person he worked with ends up, if not through him, but after him better because to me the miz is like a bring your own like byob in terms of heat like he always has heat with him that is actual real heat and not like a perceived like he's he's like actually able to get people pissed off not not necessarily get them into the arena to want to see him get his ass kicked but every time he works you want to see his get his ass kicked and i think that he's also the one guy in the same way in in, in kind of like an inverted version of arn where he's the one guy that fits perfectly into the like meta reality storytelling of professional wrestling because he is famous outside the context of the WWE but he is a star a television char- star because of the WWE so there's this weird like he's famous but not totally he's famous now for being a WWE wrestler who used to be on the real world not a real world guy who's on wwe so i I think like that to me is kind of he's the most he creates the most verisimilitude of a person a bad guy in particular that would want to be in that world and would succeed in the world that is now the wwe universe excellent once again we're getting we're
1: getting on all kinds of levels here he's not at all like him but actually he's exactly like him even though it's not at all but it's
0: exactly the same uh, did you have anything to plug this week?
1: Oh, I'll keep the plugs quick. Uh, actually, I just wanted to say, first of all, a big thank you again to Ron Fuller, without whom uh, we really wouldn't have had the unique insight that we were able to bring here. He you know, uh, made a lot of really generous time for us to sit down and talk about the early days of Arne Anderson's uh, career while we were researching this. So I wish the recording I had made of our conversation turned out better so I could share it directly with you. Uh, but really, so much of the goodness Uh, in this episode is because of Ron. So as I said earlier, check out his studcast. It's a great podcast about the history of wrestling. It's really cool because it's chronological. It starts back in like the 20s. Uh, and, and goes until today. So really, really excellent. If you want to learn more about pre-Vince wrestling, you should always check out the Studcast. If you want to learn more about Southeastern Championship Wrestling, which later became known as Continental, uh, sometimes referred to as the Lost Territories, that footage is not on the WWE Network, uh, but it is on DVDs that you can get at Ron's website. So that's TN, as in Tennessee, tnstud.com, if you want to check out the Continental uh, five DVD pack, just $40 for five DVDs. It's like 60, 70 hours of content. It is incredible if you are a wrestling historian who you know, some of us have, have gotten a little bored, a little spoiled since the network came out devouring all that content. Well, if you're looking for a territory you haven't seen before, definitely check out Ron's DVD. So big thanks again to Ron. Check me out on Twitter, uh, at Junk. Huge thanks to Henry Bransom, uh, without whom uh, I never would have been pushed to, to do that research, really, because, you know, otherwise it's just a podcast with you and me talking, but... When someone gives us some money, then there's some like positive peer pressure to to really do a thing right. So I've got to run, Nick, but, uh, I will, uh, I will talk to you soon. I will talk to you tomorrow and I'm really excited to start breaking down some of
0: these matches. And yeah, uh, you can check me out as always at the Nickster, T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. Like I said, uh, mentioned earlier, the podcast beyond, we were actually going to push back until the beginning of February in, in part, because we realized how much research was going to be involved with the process. Uh, and also we didn't want to step too much on this episode, um, because uh, I in either direction. So I definitely will definitely be coming out with the podcast beyond at the beginning of uh, next month, at the beginning of next month. And you will actually at the end of this episode, be hearing the theme song for said podcast, which is by Dylan Roth. It is called sharpshooter. And uh, we wanted to thank him for that. Uh, And, and we will be back tomorrow with the first part of our essential viewing on Arne Anderson's work throughout, especially the early parts of his career uh, from his time as Jenny, Jimmy Veteroso. That is the, the what we'll be discussing uh, over the next two days. Uh, so definitely come and check those out. Uh, and uh, it's been your pleasure. Take your